In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every seven years or so, as we talked about last week, we have the blessing of celebrating the Feast of Epiphany on a Sunday, which we did last week. Which also means that every seven years or so, we have the blessing of celebrating the octave day of Epiphany also on that following Sunday. And I say that because it's important because the subject matter that's in this Mass for us. You know, Epiphany, if we remember from last week, the word means the revelation of God to man. God revealing Himself in such a way that man could comprehend with all of his senses the living God. The revelation of God to man. And in the Western Rite, on the day of Epiphany on January 6th, we hear the narrative of the revelation of God through Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Because the angel that would appear as a star would lead the Gentiles all the way in right to where the Christ child was. And when they got there, if you remember, and they experienced the revelation of God, what was their response? These older leaders of countries, wisdom, philosophers, fell before Him in worship. And they offered Him the best that they had. And we remember that on January 6th. With our Eastern Rite brothers and sisters in the Orthodox faith, on January 6th they celebrate Epiphany. They call it Theophany, which means the same thing, revelation of God. But on that day, rather than focusing on the Magi, they focus on the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of God by God the Father through Jesus Christ to all of those that this was the Messiah. This is the Son of God who has come. And we have that blessing in the Western Rite on the octave day of Epiphany. We get to celebrate the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we remember His baptism. And it's incredibly important that we do remember the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ because it speaks of God's activity on behalf of man to save man. And I'm telling you, as I told you a few weeks ago, that the icons in the church were that which was most useful for teaching in the early church. They would be written, painted in a certain way, that they would tell the great theology of the church, the truths revealed by God, through their very design and their intricate design and details. And we're going to utilize the icon of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, the icon of Theophany today as well. And I can tell you, I, believe it, I could do a whole series on the icon and all of the rich meaning for us and for our salvation that's there. We're going to focus on a few things today, but we will refer to that icon on the front page of your bulletin in a few short moments. Because we want to let that icon reveal to us two aspects of truths so very meaningful to us that we see in that icon. The first aspect of the truth of Christ's baptism will be about how Christ being baptized. How His baptized absolutely and infinitely made the way through which you and I could be rejoined, reunited to God. The separation of the fall could be taken away and we could be reunited to God through baptism because of Christ's baptism. And the second aspect that we're going to look at today is God's activity at Christ's baptism. Because it speaks to us and it reminds us of the absolute activity of God that saves us. And saves us through 
the very waters of baptism. Before we talk about what baptism is and the, and the meaning of Christ's baptism, let's remember what Christ's baptism was not. John preached and baptized in a baptism of repentance. When Christ was baptized, this was no baptism of repentance for the Son of God. The Word of God that was there at the beginning was perfect and holy. He was in no need of being baptized, so it's not that. Let me tell you what else it's not. Christ's baptism, it is not just an example that He would lay for us of a form through which we should be baptized and we should imitate that form over and over again. I mean, He did show us to go into the water, but it's so much more than just an example. Because Christ's baptism was the activity of God for the salvation of the entire creation, which includes the pinnacle of His creation, us, mankind. So if you would, look on the front of your bulletin at the icon of Theophany. In the first subject, Christ's baptism making the way for us to be united in union with God, which is what saves us. We want to look at that first. The first thing that you'll notice in the icon is what is the central, I should say, who is the central figure? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is He the central figure, but you're going to notice that He is in the forefront of everything. In other words, the waters are not engulfing and encompassing Him. The mountains and the hills and the lands are not engulfing Him quite the other way around. He is over it all and in it all. It's as the fathers have taught, many fathers summed it up like this, that Jesus was far less engulfed by the waters of baptism than creation was united and came into Him. Not Christ just going into waters, but all coming into Him for redemption. Look at the mountains. And the land surrounding the waters of the Jordan. It looks like they've been split apart, doesn't it? It looks like if you push them together, they'd fit perfectly. They're designed that way for a reason. Because at the presence of God in Christ, in creation... All of fallen creation flees away. All of the fallenness flees away with the presence of the person of God in Jesus Christ. And Christ enters into it all. Now I want to turn your attention just by our Lord Jesus Christ's feet. Look, you see a man on the left riding a sea creature and a woman on the right doing the same. These indicate to us the man on the left, the church teaches, are the seas, indicates the seas fleeing away. The woman on the right is the waters of the Jordan River fleeing away. And that comes from the Psalms in a prophecy of the coming of Christ and his baptism. It comes from Psalm 113 and Psalm 74. And I want us to look at that for a second so that you get this meaning. In Psalm 113, which is labeled in a lot of people's scriptures with a title that says, The Power of God Delivering Israel. That's what this psalm is about. It is rejoicing at God's deliverance of His people from oppression. And here are the words. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. Now listen. The sea saw it and fled. O Jordan, turned back. 
The mountains skipped away like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped away like rams. O little hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. When Christ comes, all of the fallenness of creation flees away that it might be redeemed. And that's what's pictured there for you. In Psalm 74, Psalm 74 is a lament. It's a lament for freedom. God, come and free us from our oppressors. And these are prayers of lament that we will hear in Psalm 74. But then it gets to a place of praise right in the middle of the psalm. Listen to this. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. And listen to this. You broke the heads of the serpents in the waters. The prophecy of Christ coming, filling, purifying, and redeeming the waters in which even he would be baptized on our behalf. Therefore, Christ enters into the waters. Christ at his baptism wasn't cleansed. What was? Creation. The waters, the waters were cleansed. And it was a necessary exorcism of all of the fall of man from those waters. And from Satan and the demonic in those waters. But also notice this. Look at the right hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. For as he would exorcise the waters of all of the fall and the cause thereof. It's hard to see in that icon because it's small. But the church teaches us that our Lord Jesus Christ, by entering into the waters, not only exercised it, but it was he who blessed those waters on our behalf. He blessed them. He consecrated the waters. He separated the waters for his holy use. The use of baptism, the means by which we would be reunited with Christ. This is why at the Paschal Vigil, if you're back there when we're doing the blessing of waters, you will hear multiple exorcism prayers over those waters before anyone is baptized. And I'll, I'll read you just one of the prayers of exorcism. Listen to what we pray. And it's according to Christ's baptism and the one who will be doing the baptism on behalf of the soul. The prayer is this. I command thee, therefore, every unclean spirit, flee away from this creature of water. That to them baptized therein, it may become a font of water springing up unto life eternal, regenerating them unto the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. It is the exorcism making way for the regeneration power of Christ to come upon those being baptized, to make them a new creation and reunite them to God. Why do we do this? Why do we pray those prayers of exorcism? We are joining ourselves both to the authority and to the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ at his own baptism. And we are continuing in the ministry of reconciling the world to God. That's why Christ has us prayed those very prayers. And why is it that we use that very water blessed in that very way? Why do we use that for house blessing? Why do we use it for asperges? 
We use it for the house blessings because what Christ has separated unto Himself, what Christ has purified spiritually, what Christ has made for us, a means by which we may be reattached to God. Everywhere we go in that house and the holy water hits, the demons must flee away. And the blessings of all the kingdom of God that He desires for us are brought into that home. And testimony after testimony from so many of you, is that is exactly what happens at a house blessing. Because God takes the stuff of earth and He separates it unto Himself for us and for our benefit. Consider that, my friends, next week when a spur Jesus is brought back. Consider that, that every time we go up and down in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, this baptismal water consecrated by Christ's baptism and through His church comes upon you. That everything of darkness must leave and all of the benefits and the grace of God might come into your life. You, the home, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so in Christ's baptism, He made by His baptism the way, the means by which, through the waters, our enemy must flee and we might be reunited to Christ and the fall done away with in our lives. The last thing briefly I want to share with you is God's activity at Christ's baptism because God's activity at Christ's baptism tells us precisely what He does at ours. So let's remember this from the Gospels. When Jesus went into the water and He came out, a number of things happened. The first thing that happened, my apologies on the icon, we had to cut off the top part. If you were to look at the top of the icon above the Holy Spirit coming down, you'll see just a little bit. In the icon, there's an actual whole spance of the glory of God. Because we are told that the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up with the glory of God. And then from those heavens, down came the Holy Spirit upon Christ. And it says that He lighted, the Holy Spirit lighted upon Christ as a dove. That word lighted is hover. Where do we remember that from? The dawn of creation. At creation over the what? The waters. At creation over the waters, the Holy Spirit lighted hovered, and then the Word of God spoke, and through the waters, creation was made. I think you're stuck. Some of y'all are nodding your heads already. You know where this is going. When the Holy Spirit comes down upon Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, hovering over the waters at our baptism, something is recreated. We are. The fallen creation is done away with. The new creation is established. We are a new creation by the descent of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. But then something else. Then God the Father speaks where everyone hears. And He says something so very important to us. He says, this is my Son. This is my Son. This one is mine, is united to me, is one with me, you see. What happens in our baptism? The Holy Spirit comes upon us. We are cleansed of our sins. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Then God proclaims something over our lives. 
he proclaims, This one is mine. This is my son. This is my daughter. Which is why we in our hearts, having gone into the waters of baptism only because of Christ's baptism, we are cleansed from our sins. We are made an absolute new creation. And we are claimed by our Heavenly Father as family. Which is why in our lives, we can now proclaim in our prayers and with great praise, Abba, what? Father. We become sons and daughters of the living God. The more we look at the icon of baptism and let the church teach us what Christ has given in revelation of all that he has done on our behalf to make a way for our salvation, defeating our enemy, but also recreating us and joining us to the Father as Adam was in the beginning. If we only saw who we truly were because of Christ's baptism and his work on our behalf, how our lives might change and our perspective on life might change as well. May it be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.